Welcome to the Addiction in My Family podcast, dedicated to educate parents and other family members about addiction, codependency, enabling, and recovery with your host, Donna Marston, author of Peeling the Onion and Just for Today. Hello and welcome to Addiction in My Family. I'm your host, Donna M. And today I'll be talking with Lene Cassier, Executive Director of SSR in a recovered state since 2008. She's a volunteer group facilitator at the Stratford County House of Correction for Women. She's a small business owner for the past eight years, residential property management, has a son, Jared, who lives a successful active life in Colorado, and has a family-owned winter home on the south shore of Cowie, where she recharges her battery, Aloha style, every January and February, and Monet loves life. Good morning, Monet. Thank you for joining me today. Well, good morning, Donna. So um, I, I think one of the things that's really important to do is kind of start at the beginning, how you started in your addiction, and, um, and then we can discuss that a little bit, and then move into how um, you move forward in your recovery, being an entrepreneur in recovery, you know, sober sisters, which I think is really important to talk to, and how you help so many women in our state of New Hampshire and help them move forward in their recovery and live a better quality of life. So if you'd like to just give us a little background, that would be awesome. Oh, sure, sure. So from the beginning, um, so I am, uh, as I said, my name is Monet. I am a recovered alcoholic and drug addict. Uh, my, my clean date is February 25th, 2008. And well, from the beginning, you know, I went to school out at Cobrown Academy high school. And uh, that's where I realized that I drank and drugged a little bit differently than my other classmates. Mm. Uh, I, I actually remember the exact night. It was at a keg party at a campground and I was the last one awake by the keg. Uh, wow. <laughs> and, yeah. And I remember it. And I, I remember thinking, geez, where are all my girlfriends? And, you know, mm. they were asleep because we had uh, finals the next day. So time went on and uh, I graduated high school and traveled to Florida, Tampa Bay and other substances where I, w- I was introduced to other substances. And so my, my disease really took off in the early 80s. And I came home with the tail between my legs, mm-hmm. sick and sad. And I went into my first treatment center. Uh, that was in 1983. Wow. Uh, so I was 19 when I was introduced to 12-step recovery. Mm-hmm. which is what I use, which is my form of a solution to my disease. I know that there are many ways. But this is the one that has worked for me to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went into treatment and, uh, you know, I got out, Donna, and I, I wasn't ready. I didn't understand at 19 that I had to stop for good and for all. I just thought I had to take a little break. Right. And <laughs> so time went on and, uh, you know, different jobs. And I come from a great family. I mean, really amazing parents. And uh, I kept doing geographicals. And I don't know if you know what that is, but it just moving. Every time it got my use got horrible, I would pack up and move instead of facing what, the wreckage. And so I moved to the Caribbean. I moved to the island of Antigua. Wow. Uh, Yeah, I quit my job. I was working for a law firm and a lawyer. Uh, 
and uh, what a great guy, you know, just so supportive of my recovery because I had gotten six months clean at the time. And I just packed up and moved to the island of Antigua in the British West Indies. And I bounced on and off that island. I was there for quite a while, but for about nine years. And uh, that is where I met my son's father. And so, uh, you know, I don't know how much detail you want, but I came back in 1997 to U.S. territory via the U.S. Embassy and Immigration. Thank God for them. And, uh, you know, my parents didn't know if I was dead or alive, Donna. And Uh it just, you know, I get a little emotional just thinking about it now being a mother. Mm Mm-hmm. So they had called the U.S. Embassy. There was a woman, I'll never forget it as long as I live. Her name was Lydia, and she pulled up into the ghetto where I was hiding and using my favorite drug of choice at the time. And uh, she pulled in and just hollered out. And in this area of the island, very third world, vehicles you know, cars, everyone stopped and looked and she hollered out my name. Is there a Monet Cassier here? And I thought, can I even hide and get high? (laughs) (laughs) I just couldn't believe it. I remember coming out from behind the the shed and she, I got in the vehicle and she took me away to Holberton Hospital at the time. And that was when actually uh, Eric Clapton was just um, in the construction for Crossroads, the treatment center on island. So I came back and things went from bad to worse. I ended up committing crimes, stealing, you know, breaking the law. And I am the type that gets caught because I'm a happy, loud drunk. So it's not like I would get quiet and hide out. So I got caught. I actually, in the end, I could repeat a lot of different stories, but it sounds the same. Just Mm -hmm. different places, different people, but all the same behavior. In the end, I had stolen from my parents and for the last time. So they had pressed charges and... I went to Stratford County House of Correction. They were fearful for for my safety, society's safety, and uh, my dad faxed the court from the Hawaii vacation home uh, and said, please find her. We're afraid that she may die. Mm -hmm. So they found me and I did. I got um, incarcerated. I was locked up. And thank you, God. So that was the beginning of my recovery when my parents found the strength because they they had my son at this point uh, and were raising him. Um, thank you, God, because he had now had consistency. I was not capable. Mm-hmm. And uh, so um, when they found the strength to do that, which I know was painful, I can't even imagine. Sure. And, um, is when my journey started. Yep. Yeah. So there's a lot of fear. A, a back history and um, fear. You know, can you imagine taking care of Jared, my amazing son? <sighs> And, and wondering about their daughter, if she's dead or alive. I'm sorry, I when I speak of this, I go back to it and I just get to such a g- grateful state that I get emotional. That's fine, that's my, fine. My gratitude is so, so deep, yeah, so. Um, and that's awesome. Anyways, that brings, yeah, I get, really, I get so grateful. Yeah. So that brings, you know, to in a jail cell, uh, yeah. you know, is when I woke up and had to detox off of these substances. I don't know if you want me to keep going into then what has happened, which is the miracle of my life today. The, the miracle of your life is great. It's always, you know, I think to just everybody has their stories about addiction and, and the whys and, and, and hows or, you know, the, the wreckage of it all. But I think 
you know, I run parent support groups and one of the things that parents, they want the magic um, answer. They, they want to come into my meetings and ask the question, how do I save or rescue my child? And the answer is you, we can only rescue ourselves and take care of ourselves. We can't rescue somebody who doesn't want to be rescued. So, you know, so I think that's why I like to talk about the recovery because it shows parents that there's many pathways to recovery, whether it's jail, you know, going to meetings or 12 steps or whatever. So, yeah. So I'd love for you to talk about, yeah, you went to jail and then whatever happened, you you move forward. But I want to say that my parents, it was 25 years of bouncing in and out of active Uh, addiction. So my parents had wept, gone to meetings, paid for treatment centers over and over and over. So this families out there that are just at their wit ends and sad and tired, uh, you know, and a lot of grandparents and parents uh, take care of children or grandchildren. And so they were just, they didn't know what else to do. Like you just said, they didn't know what else to do. So they actually asked for help with the law. You Mm -hmm. know, they actually, they got a clue. They're like, wait, this is our money, not hers. We've worked for this. (laughs) Right. So that's when, (laughs) that's, that's when they were like, we can't even let her in the house. So Mm -hmm. they had to draw the line to keep themselves safe. Was I angry? Yes. But what happened once I got inside Stratford County and it wasn't my first time being locked up, Mm -hmm. but this is the time that matters because it was the last time for good and for all. Mm -hmm. I I went into um, the county jail, so saddened and broken. And I was offered a bed inside the therapeutic community inside Stratford County House of Correction, which is 90 day treatment inside the county jail, which basically you are are locked in a very large cell with about 12 other women and you're locked in there with all recovery material groups 16 hour days no napping very much like a boot camp yeah you you know no cursing uh sitting like a lady and i i got a bed i was gifted um a bed there and it was very hard it was very difficult but it's where my journey started and the staff over there uh you know knew what they were doing it was a somewhat of a new program when i entered a uh almost 11 years ago. Mm -hmm. So I graduated. I did complete. I got a certificate. And then it was suggested that I go on to further treatment, which I thought was ridiculous because I had been to so many treatment centers. But I just surrendered and did what the staff told me to do. And I got um, a bed at a treatment center right there at the annex. I went myself. It was suggested to do long-term treatment. So I did uh, the TC program for three months, uh, detox, rehab for eight weeks, and then a halfway house for eight months. And then transitional sober apartments for three months. Wow. Oh, yes. Yes. So it was time. I was 44 years old and I surrendered and I started to really enjoy life. So I'll tell you, I remember I started to laugh Hmm. and I suggested that I and my son, my family a break because we just rashed through our families and it was time for me to get well and get better and give them a break. Mm-hmm. So I did. I followed. I did whatever my treatment team told me to do, even kicking and dreaming, but I did it. So my first three, I believe I visited my parents once and my son once. It was so painful. I'm just sharing with you my story. I'm not saying that everyone has to do that. Mm-hmm. But when I did visit with them, it we started a little slow and I was taught to ask them how they're doing and then to listen to their answer, mm-hmm. which 
What's wow. different for me is whenever I did see whenever I did see my family, I always brought them drama, uh, asking them for money. You know, so for the first visit, I, this is really important. I, I thank God that I remember this. I asked my mom and dad. We went to lunch, and the treatment team had said we're going to give you like two and a half hours to visit with your family for the first time. We went out to lunch in downtown Dover, New Hampshire, and I asked them how they were doing. Well, my mom started talking about gardening recipes. And then my dad t- started talking about the softball teams and what his average was at the plate at his batting average. And I remember sitting there thinking, good Lord, are they talking a lot? <laughs> but I never gave them it. I, I just couldn't believe I sat there because I was told to ask and then shut up. Mm-hmm. I was told to just quiet and listen. And I did it. And I was amazed at how much these lovely parents had to say about their lives. Mm. And it was, it was easy. It was a breeze. It was lovely topics. My grandmother's, re- my mom's recipe for whoopie pies and her blueberry muffins and my dad's softball tournaments. And I remember w- walking way thinking I just was the daughter I've always wanted to be and so for the, the relationship that I have with my parents and my son it was a separate visit and the same thing happened I listened to him and his teenage uh, topics um, and so once I um, finished the programming you know I was it was suggested I get a get well job I had worked for lawyers I was a small claims clerk in Western Mass you know, I had some pretty cushy jobs. But I was told that Monet, you needed to put your resume away and get a get well job. So I worked at Dunkin' Donuts for a year. I had lost my license in three states. So I biked at 44 years old and 50 pounds overweight to Dunkin' Donuts and back and saved my money and bought my first car uh, with my tips. And then I went on and found another job uh, cleaning banks. So I got bonded and, uh, you know, got some good references and I became trustworthy because I had to earn the trust. Absolutely. And, And I... Oh, I had to earn it and I earned it and I busted my butt. I worked really, really, really hard while going to meetings. I went to a meeting a day myself with a sponsor. I got myself a 12-step sponsor, meetings daily, and I became very active back at the TC program that I told you about at Stratford County. Mm-hmm. My, my sponsor had me wait till I was a year, a little over a year clean and through the fifth and sixth step and into my amends to go back in and, and speak on my story because she said, you have to have it to give it away. Mm. So I started uh, becoming a, a group facilitator at Stratford County House of Corrections at about a year and a half uh, in recovery. And I've been doing it ever since. So it is a joy and it has taken a different turn where it's like a support volunteer staff. I started to run because in prayer and meditation, I knew I had some amends to make and I didn't know how I was going to amend a lot of financial with the people I didn't even know that I had wronged. Mm-hmm. Like meaning I didn't know even know who they were, but I had stolen from them. Mm-hmm. So I went into meditation and this is personal, but I'm going to share it because it's a huge part of my story. And it came to me to, I've always been active and and running and jogging and swimming and biking. It came to me to start running half marathons to raise money. And so I ran geez, four half marathons in a row for one a year and all the money I raised, I donated to the therapeutic communities, the men and women's unit at the Stratford County House of Correction as a proxy amends to the people that I stole the money from. And that money went towards fruits and vegetables, notebooks, recovery material, recovery movies, 
Um, and the reason I really don't talk about that too much is because it's a very private, personal, um, I'm telling you about it because it made a shift in my life and my recovery. Mm-hmm. It just changed things. I was like, oh, this is what it's about. <laughs> and then, um, and it was also to show the women inside, you know, anything is possible because I had to train. <laughs> and so I, I ran these half marathons and I'll tell you the staff from the TC program, Quinn and uh, Chris Brown. Racket, uh, would be at the finish lines uh, with their children and their dogs. Oh, I get emotional thinking about it. And they are very, very good friends of mine. They've helped me open Sober Sisters Recovery. So time went on. And um, then I decided uh, to open my own, start my own business, a cleaning business, which has now turned into property management, uh, residential. These clients that I have, have, I've been with them nine years, eight and a half, nine years. And they are probably second in line as close as far to my family, uh, as far as most important to me in my life. So we've been together through my whole recovery and they support everything I've done, every half marathon I've run. They donate and support Sober Sisters Recovery in a fashion that I don't speak about Mm -hmm. very often, but Mm -hmm. just know that I have these like silent partners in the background that have carried me through. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't want to get too far off track. So I did start my own business. So I am a a small business owner and that has enabled me working for myself to be able to open Sober Sisters sister's recovery and run it, be here sitting, talking to you, um, you know, at 1030 on a Friday. (laughs) And where is um, Sober Sisters located? Sober Sisters recovery is at 45 Mallee Farm Road in Summersworth, New Hampshire. It's on a farm? It is a, an old farmhouse. It is a city-owned property that we have completely refurbished. The only thing we have left is the siding and a few windows. And it's an old farmhouse that used to be a boy's home. And we are a nonprofit, a 501c3. We have a great board of, board of directors. Yeah, my life is so amazing, Donna. As, as you know, in the winter, I go to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. So I have a great staff over here. Uh, since I got sober, I've once I earned trust and knew that it was time to act right, I have been been welcomed and enveloped into the family vacation holiday. You know, we all winter on mm-hmm. Kauai and, um, you know, now I'm the one with the keys to the <laughs> house <laughs> and I open up and get them ready and I'm able to be of service to my parents and my child. So with that, I was approached by uh, my, my old business partner, the other co-founder, Mary Beth Schofield, who approached me. We had lost a friend to heroin overdose four years ago and she came to my apartment and said, you know, let's just open a sober transitional home. And, you know, I didn't pause and say, let me think about it. And uh, sometimes I think, you know, a little pause would have been okay. Mm -hmm. But I said, sure. So she picked the right person. Uh, My enthusiasm just kicked right in. So we went to the zoning board and then the city council. It took us about a year putting in the RFP to get the building. And I'll tell you, Bob Belmore the, and Dana Hilliard, the city of Summersworth, I love the city of Summersworth, and I never really knew about Summersworth. I live in Rollinsford. It's just two miles from the farm, my, my apartment, which I love. But uh, the city of Summersworth, City Hall, everyone who works there have been so great to me and Sober Sisters Recovery. Uh, Bob Belmore taught me about city politics. I, I didn't know what I didn't know, you know, mm-hmm. yep. and about city council. And so I went and learned 
happened. And um, I ran a couple half marathons. I ran the Maui half. So I, you know, I financed that, flew to Maui with my, my mom and ran that half marathon and ran the Bear Brook half, the trail half, and raised about 8000 wow. And that was, the, that was the seed money. It was right around there. And know that Mary Beth, <laughs> while I was training, she was helping take care of my properties uh, for my residential property management business. Mm-hmm. So she and her um, significant other were doing that while I was training and running. And so that was the seed money to get going. And, you know, the recovery community, I can't even put into words how much they have helped. There's a we huge help. recovery community over that over your way over on the seacoast, it seems. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very, it's very not, strong. Very strong. We're all uh, brothers and sisters, you know, SOS, mm-hmm. Hope on Haven Hill, mm-hmm. you know, and if I, if I miss Safe Harbor, if I miss a name, only know because it's, there's so many. Yeah. But in particular, Bonfire Recovery Services. Mm-hmm. And then I have friends that uh, work, had their uh, Ray McGarty Associates, McGarty Associates. He's my backbone. Um, White Birch uh, Recovery Services, John Eldridge. So they are my backbone um, as far as supporting me. So Ray helps me run Sober Sisters Recovery. Uh, We are a six to 18 month program for women coming out of treatment or incarceration. Right now we have four with two coming. My sweet spot, Donna, is six to seven uh, women. Our capacity is nine. I do not like to go to capacity. It can get uh, a little crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, the woman's needs and the case management uh, looks different than men. What I see is, as I run parent support groups, there's a lot for men and very little for women to sober houses. There's, yeah, we've yes. gotten a few, couple it, it, more, true. but it's it's very limited in our it great state. It is limited, state. and we are non-medicated. Right. <laughs> Um, we are non-medicated assisted. So we take Vivitrol, but we do not take Suboxone or Methadone. Mm-hmm. So there, I get calls every day, every day from all over uh, women that are on medicated assisted that need sober living. But that's not what our program is. Mm-hmm. So, excuse me, my hope is that one will open up that will service this population in this area soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know that, uh, so we're here six to 18 months. We have two phases. So we ask the women to commit to six months. The first three months is phase one and the second three months is phase two. Our program, I feel, is a bit unique in that we offer an RA position, residence assistant. My senior resident has just rolled into that. Mm -hmm. And then once they can earn a a house management position where they move into a large bedroom, their own bathroom, and they can live, their cost of living here is zero. So they live rent-free, you know, the laundry facilities. We have uh, the Waysmit Center at UNH helping with food and the local food banks. So then once they become the house manager, everyone works here and pays rent. Everything that they would make at their job could go into savings mm. to help them find a you know little apartment or a roommate yep. situation. And we do do budgeting every Friday. Every That's woman, important. Yep. Every woman comes in. Uh, Sunday evenings is Reiki, one-on-run Reiki treatments, which is nice. like, all this is included in the rent. And then 12-step yoga. Nice. So I have Colette Caitlin, who does our Reiki. Reiki treatments. She is a shaman. She's been with me almost a year. Uh, she also is support staff when I vacation. Then we have Sister Soul traveling yoga, 12-step yoga. They come Sunday evenings. We've just switched over from Thursdays to Sundays and Mondays. Uh, and then we have process group every other Wednesday. 
On that off Wednesday, we have Kathy Ford coming in and doing a guided meditation, which I sit in on because it's so amazing. And I also uh, get uh, Reiki treatment from time to time, helps keep me balanced. <laughs> and then the women have one-on-one counseling weekly. That is part of the contract. And we have Hope on Haven Hill, Jen Stout, who comes in and provides that and or our women go over to their outpatient office. So right now I have a woman doing an IOP at Hope on Haven Hill. I refer all my women over there for gender specific counseling. Mm-hmm. So that's our programming. Um, you know, miracles are happening. I have a couple graduates who uh, are coming back and doing overnights. One I'm training to do some part-time work assistant for me here in the office. Uh, they both have over two years of continuous recovery. Everyone went to water country. Uh, There's hiking trails out back. We have volleyball, horseshoe, uh, basketball. The girls, uh, uh, the two newest women are off to the beach today. They do not begin work for a couple more weeks. So I have them enjoy life, but also volunteer right here for my nonprofit. So there's a certain amount of hours where they will they will help weed the flower garden, prep dinner. Uh, you know, I have some painting that needs to be done, and they love it, Donna. Nice. These women love giving back to Sober Sisters Recovery. You know, I have uh, two women, two, three, and a third one coming from um, a county and state prison, mm-hmm. and they come with nothing, mm-hmm. literally nothing. I have empty my apartment of toiletries. So right now, um, our toiletry closet is a little bare. So I'm reaching out for help with that shampoo, cream rinse, feminine products, razors. I have two women that are coming that cannot smoke nicotine. They have asthma. So part of their treatment here is they're both mandated a year. And if they have asthma and or they've had asthma, Ray and I from McGarty, Ray McGarty, we feel it's a liability for them to pick back up smoking nicotine. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been seven, five months without it. And if they can't afford to pay their rent, <laughs> we just feel that uh, priorities, uh, yeah. that buying cigarettes and, and their health. So let's get back to, I want to talk about... Um, your need. I run parent support groups in, in New Hampshire. I'd love to be able to provide some items for the ladies. Like I, I have towels. Um, is that something that the ladies could use? Towels, I, yes. Uh, clothing. I'm always giving away clothing. Yep. So with the bedding and the towels, we have to be careful um, with donations. They have to call my number first, 603-703-9077. Because for a while there, we had... It's private property. I need to know whenever someone is coming on. We had people just dropping off anything and everything on my side porch. Yeah. We do not take used makeup. You know, those kind of things were being dr- just old, dirty clothing. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to be clear. We welcome it. It's so important that it's by appointment yeah. and that the items be like new and clean or new. So clothes were all set. I have piles and piles that we're trying to keep organized and by size. Towels, twin bedding if they're new or like new and Mm -hmm. clean Mm -hmm. because we have very careful with bed bugs oh right yeah so normally i say unless it's new and in the package because otherwise we have to put it through the dryer for 70 minutes on high yeah but really what we need donna is shampoo cream rinse toothpaste toothbrushes sanitary products uh, lotion razors actually sunblock like today 
you know, the women went off and I, they texted me this morning, you know, we don't, can't find any sunblock. And so I zoomed over and got some and, you know, you mm-hmm. know how it goes. Yep. <laughs> yep. It, it's all okay. Because as you and I have talked about, we could get a lot at the dollar store if, if it were be a gift card from the dollar store, a gift card from Walmart. Right. Or even, I have uh, community support from Liberty Mutual. I have uh, dynamite people up there who have bought stuff in, in a bag and, and called me and said, hey, I'd like to bring by some shampoo and cream rinse. I said, yep. great. And I'll meet them here. Does that help? Yeah, that's great. Because I'm going to be coming out to your place in a couple of weeks, I think, to speak to the ladies and have dinner with everybody. So I was going to uh, ask their parents at my support groups if they wanted to make donations. And then when I come out, I'll, I'll bring that stuff out to you. But oh, I, that would be fabulous. Yeah. And, and Donna, quick question. That night, am I allowed to invite the resident's parents? Sure. Okay. Because I think that would be really helpful? Sure. Um, I speak um, every every five weeks at Concord Hospital and it's on family night. So there's the person who has a substance use disorder and their parent or a wife or sometimes it's a sibling or just a friend who's there to support. You know, parents need to be educated about this horrific disease. And let me put it this way. We don't often understand that we can be part of the problem and part of the solution. And so that's what I do. I talk about uh, what I needed to learn, what I learned and how I healed, because I think that's really important. And I think for me, anyway, when my son was in active addiction, our behaviors mimicked each other. The only difference was I wasn't self-medicating, but I was trying to manipulate him. I was lying to him to get him to do what I wanted him to do. So that's why I say we do the same behaviors often. I, I wasn't stealing from him, but although maybe I might have hid, hid the car key so he couldn't get out of the house. So I guess I took his property or even lying they you know as it says in in the book that i study lying is a form of stealing mm-hmm. yeah you know? right so but how i what i was wondering was could you bring your informational cards and your for these parents these family members to find out everything you have that will teach them where to go the fifth sunday of the month in concord or yeah. i'm vi- oh i just got very excited yeah <laughs> Well, we're going to have to, we'll be doing more burgers than I planned, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have a nice meal and every set of parents or siblings could benefit every one of my clients, family members, because they ask me questions. I do the best I can Mm -hmm. and I refer them, but you know, it really goes on deaf ears. I believe having you come in like this with some uh, informational packets they can touch and bring home with them and is, is just going to be, I've been wanting to do this for how long now? Donna. Yeah, we've talked about this for, for <laughs> at least a year. We've talked about doing that. Yeah. Well, it's happening. It's finally happening. Yeah. Yep. You know, it's really hard for parents. Um, by the time their kids get to rehab, often they are so financially and emotionally bankrupt that there's not much left. However, I find that when parents, when we hit our enough, is when we're able to detach with love. You know, it's really important. You know, people think, well, detaching with love means I never talk to my child. No, you can take your child out to dinner. What it means is you're not active in the chaos and the drama of their 
active addiction. So that's what I, I try to uh, teach. And so I go through what I learned, how I healed. And, you know, because I think, you know, I'm a parent support coach. I'm um, licensed in the state of New Hampshire. I'm a certified recovery support worker and I'm a trained recovery coach. And I have lived experience. You know, my son got sober in 2008 as well. well. Right. Yes, I do know that about you. That's why I'm very excited to physically have your body in this building. <laughs> it's going to be a huge blessing. <laughs> <laughs> no, because my life, I'm so busy. You know, I this this second year, well, now we're into our third year of being open. July 14th was our two-year anniversary. Wow, that's amazing. I have had so much more balance in my life. So now being able to have you come and slow down, you know, you brought up some good stuff around the parents and loving them, but still, you know, minding their own business, enjoying their life now they know that their daughter is safe and sleeping and in recovery. And, and boundaries, speaking about boundaries, not giving out the address of Sober Sisters to people. Uh, that's something that I struggle with with the family members or the my clients will struggle with is please don't give out where I'm living to other people without asking me you know those kind of things I'm sure you'll be able to help yeah I can well, I can talk till I'm blue in the face well I get the same thing because you know when people come to our meetings it says who you see here stays here and then weeks later someone will come up to me and go oh you know is that my hairdresser and I was telling him I met you I said oh how'd, how'd you like where did you tell him you met me and you know it's deer in the headlights because you brought broke my amenity. <laughs> so parents, people don't often understand right. that part of it. It's, and in it's, your case, it's safe. It is definitely safety. And if letters start coming and I don't open mail unless it's a package, I have to be sure, you know, so I just lay their, their cards or their letters on their bed. And, um, you know, just happens all the time. This person, I really didn't want them to know where I live. I think my mom or dad let them know. And I said, well, we'll have a family meeting and we'll talk about it. But you're, you're going to need to, you know, set the boundary. And so I just think having, uh, having you here and another voice to it is just mm -hmm. going to be just wonderful. I just don't have the time to be, I, my job is the women, yeah. not the family. I can make suggestions. So, right. Yeah. Um, right. Yep. And it's the family disease. Absolutely. Do you have an ending thought? that you would like to end with? We, Sober Sisters Recovery, you know, our website is www.sobersistersrecovery.org. Mm -hmm. If, if they, anyone wants donations or learn more about us, uh, or if they have a daughter, a sister, a mother struggling, yep. I respond to every form of communication every single day mm -hmm. uh, because I know what it feels like. On September 5th, we're having a golf tournament to raise money to help scholarship, you know, some women in and or set them up. I'm getting a large population from the women incarcerated inquiring and wanting to move into Sober Sisters. And when they do come from incarceration, most times they've burned all their bridges. Right. But an ending thought from me as a woman living this amazing life, you know, I woke up, Donna, I took a swim. I thanked God. I had a fresh cup of coffee. I knew that I was going to be speaking with you and able to hold the commitment because, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm a show up kind of gal today. And I thought about my son who is uh, traveling out in Telluride, Colorado. He and I are going to spend the holidays in the Caribbean visiting his dad on Antigua. And then I'll come back and, you know, I'll winter on Kauai with my parents who are getting older. And I will be 
speaking at a meeting Sunday morning uh, with some women that I love that are in my life. You know, I keep it really simple. Yeah. And when I hang up with you, I have some errands to run. But the way I conduct myself today, and I'm so lucky, is when I go to my local two post offices, Rollinsford and Summersworth, I move slow because I love to speak to everyone. I used to dodge these type of people. And now I just stop and say, hi, I'm going to go to the dump and do my recycling and chat with them. (laughs) I'm going to stop at City Hall and make sure I pass out some golfing brochures. And I just think about how my insides feel compared to what they were when I was using. Mm-hmm. And I'm a completely transformed person. I've recreated my life with the help of my higher power and, and my program and support. And I, I just am so grateful. I, I can't even put into words. I would have never in my wildest dreams thought that my life could be this good. And on Saturday night, we're going to have a pit fire nice. out, out here at the farm. Mm-hmm. We'll be having schmores. There's three or four graduates coming. One will be getting celebrating one year and speaking. And we'll all be around the fire. And when this happens for me, I sort of levitate. And I almost, when every time we all get together and do this, I get real quiet and reflective. And I just am so grateful at how amazing and lucky I am to be in the company of such amazing women, eager and willing to go to any lengths to recreate their lives. Mm, That's beautiful. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for all the great work that you do. And it just is amazing. And thank God we have a place like Sober Sisters in New Hampshire because it's it's really important. So on that note, I will uh, sign off. And to everybody who's listening, may your faith and strength heal your heart. Until next time. Thank you for listening today. If you want to support the Addiction in My Family podcast, please subscribe, share, and leave a review on iTunes. If you are in need of support, Donna offers private coaching sessions and an online membership page for parents who are emotionally bankrupt. For more information, visit www.donnaforsupport.com.